0: Welcome to The Rock Fight, where we speak our truth, slay sacred cows, and sometimes agree to disagree. This is an outdoor podcast that aims for the head. I'm Colin True, and today Kyle Frost is back to run through some recent headlines coming out of the outdoor industry. Kyle, how how was your hut trip, man? I know you were up in the mountains last weekend.
1: It was good. It was more of a uh, ski tour to a hut and eat food (laughs) and drink than it was a uh, skiing hut trip. Uh, It's still a little low tide in the backcountry in Colorado right now, Uh, but it was still just as enjoyable. Let's go get drunk in a a hut in the mountains versus
0: getting drunk in our apartment, kind of thing, or
1: yeah, uh, you know, (laughs) play some hearts, you know, hang out, see some friends, uh, but not let's uh, let's avoid the uh, incredibly uh, (laughs) shark-infested slopes outside. (laughs) No broken ankles on this
0: trip, I hope. No. Too early in the season for that. All right, man. Well, so let's start with the topic today you wrote about last week for your website, hereandthere.club, and that's the recent story regarding the U.S. Forest Service and National Park Service proposing new guidelines for managing climbing in wilderness areas. The biggest impact of these guidelines being that fixed anchors are now considered prohibited installations in wilderness-designated areas meaning that any new or replacement anchors will require what what the National Forest Service is calling, quote, minimum requirements analysis before installing or replacing the anchors and existing anchors in wilderness areas may be removed if they fly in the face of a seemingly subjective point of view wrote, rooted in, quote, wilderness character. And as I'm confusing myself reading this, when I first saw the story, I was confused. And uh, your article actually helped to kind of clarify at least a little bit so i guess let's just start with what brought this on like what what do we know about
1: why this move was even made at at some point there's a a very reasonable side of this where climbing has mostly escaped a lot of regulation for a very long time um with regards to setting routes and and bolts and, and that sort of thing because the outdoors is becoming increasingly more impacted you know climbing is not immune to the reach of the government with regards to kind of managing visitation managing recreation uh and establishing new regulations for you know how people set routes and bolts and and that sort of thing because even if it is a significantly smaller impact in many ways than you know maybe a couple thousand people on a hiking trail mm-hmm. um you know Bolt lines up a granite wall and climbers using that does have an impact. And it's kind of a slippery slope to say that like, oh, but you it, you can't really, you can't see a bolt line. Like, you know, you can, a, a trail is a mar on the landscape. Like you can't see the, this, these 12 bolts in a wall for this sport route. And yes, that's true. You know, cl- there is still an impact for climbing and it probably shouldn't be immune to some sort of regulation, whether this is the right regulations are a totally different question. <laughs> it's a little too little too
0: late, though, right? I mean, these a lot of these lines have been established for a long time. I mean, I, I understand the sort of exercise of like, well, should they be there? But the fact is, they are. <laughs> you know, and they yeah. do you know, people do use them
1: and I, And I think that's where a lot of this subjectiveness and lack of clarity is cause for concern because mm-hmm. you know the way that the the guidelines are worded leaves room for removing existing uh, anchors and bolts uh, if the local land manager deems that necessary and it calls into question the ability to establish new routes it calls into question the ability yeah. to place you know bailout anchors and and things like that that people put up even on trad trad routes just for Uh, additional safety or protection or the ability to safely uh, bail off of a route when there's that amount of of confusion it's not good for climbers it's not great for uh you know the park service or the u.s forest service and I, i really don't think that the forest service has the capacity to manage climbing at this level of detail in an effective way they just don't have the staff to do it or the expertise to do it. Uh, there's parks like Yosemite that have climbing rangers and you know, there's a yeah, whole, there's somewhat of a structure there to like. That's Yosemite, <laughs> exactly. But that's Yosemite, <laughs> right? But when there's all this stuff in there that's you know leaving it up to individual regions and land managers as far as what the the end result or or the end implementation of guidelines are, then you know maybe if someone doesn't have the staff or doesn't like climbers like, which, which is a real thing. Like there, there are yeah. definitely people who feel like climbers are, you know, have this dirtbag reputation and are somehow, you know, less valid recreationalists than, you know, the average hiker, you know, if you got some sort of grudge against climbers, then they could be like, no, like we're going to chop all the bolts. And I I don't, I don't think that's great or a solution. <laughs>
0: Well, I don't want to get on the path of, like, you know, which is more damaging. I, I do know that if you don't maintain a trail, it gets overgrown and goes away pretty quick, you know, yeah. versus, like, we're talking about drilling holes into, you know, the millions of years these faces took to form. that and It's not going to grow back in if you take the bolts out. So right. it's, it's right. kind of, you know, it's like, hey, th- this problem exists, and then maybe you didn't think of it before, and you're thinking of it now, well, well too bad, it's already happened. I, I think the issue I have, and I don't think you're going to have really an answer as to why, is this sort of out-of-the-blue there's no context for why, like why, why all of a sudden did this happen? I mean, this happened uh, when Justin Hausman was on a few months ago. We talked about a decision that came out of the, the Bureau of Land Management. They closed a bunch of off-road trails, uh, v- vehicular off-road trails in Moab. And, of course, all the conservation folks were like, that's a big win. And, and it's just there wasn't a lot of context as to why. It's like, it's, it wasn't like, hey, these, these trails got overused. And now we need to like shut them down for a while so they can reestablish themselves and then we'll reevaluate if we'll, we'll open them again. It was just like, no, we're closing them. And, you know, then yeah. the Alfroad community is pissed off and the conservationists, uh, you know, the, the wilderness people are like, oh, my God, it's amazing. And I kind of see the same thing here. It's like just out of the blue, there was no, hey, guys, we've been talking about this forever. And here's our decision. It's just oh, here's some new rules we made up about climbing in these wilderness areas. And like it, just it's like it's like walking, in, like dropping a bomb and walking out of the room. You know, like what, why?
1: Yeah, I, and a lot of people just see it see it as overreach by the the Forest Service and National Park Service with regards to re- regulation. Um, you know, there there have been some you know mini steps uh, along the way, especially in Yosemite. Uh, they, but again, with like a, a similar lack of clarity, like there is they implemented like a, a permit system that wasn't like truly a permit, uh, for big wall climbing that got a lot of uproar. And I, I don't have, I mean, this is something I don't have the like full specifics on cause I haven't dived into it, but I know as it exists currently, it's just a, like a check in, um, like no limitations. It's just like, Hey, we want to know who's climbing, but I think the, like, behind the scenes of this is, is like, are you testing this to see if there's actually going to be a true permit system through like recreation.gov, heaven forbid, mm-hmm. uh, or something like that to decide whether I can climb the nose today, which just flies in the face of how climbing like operates in general and and would be not a great situation. Yeah. Like you said, I, I don't have a great answer for for the why here um you know people like to reference that oh like climbers leave trash and and that sort of thing which is is true of of any recreation everybody does as as someone leaves trash somewhere uh i know i think a a while ago they posted the forest service or yosemite or something somebody posted about it and they posted like a big pile of trash on top of little cap Turned out that pile of trash was from like the climber cleanup day, um, that yeah. you know, all, all the climbers classic, <laughs> which they hold uh, annually in Yosemite. Um, I mean, it, it doesn't change the fact that there is trash, but at least like they're self organizing to do something about it, and there's a pretty strong uh, you know, shame self, you know, shaming within the community to, to follow lead no trace practices and, yeah. and that sort of thing.
0: I think any core part of our any of the sports you talk about. Are likely to not be the problem when it comes to trash in our natural spaces. I mean, the people yeah. like if you're going out for big mountain bike rides, big ski days, big climbing days, or whatever. You you know the etiquette, and even if you don't know, you know, every step of leave no leave trace. You know, you shouldn't leave trash outside. You know, yeah. like I'm sure you, like me, are the guy who like walking your dog or walking home, and you know, you see the you know three plastic bottles, and I'm picking them up. You know, it's just like I, it kind of comes with the territory. The more and more you get into this, you know, I think the it seems short-sighted on a variety of levels to not provide that context, though, because, like, for the one, it's like, this is economic, economic impact. This was the argument I made for the off-road folks in the Moab situation where it's like, I'm not an off-road guy. Like, I, in my heart of hearts, I'd rather there not be off-road vehicles where I'm going to go. However, Moab is known as an off-road destination right? Yosemite is known as a climbing destination. This is what, I mean, what's the percentage of people who are not just sort of driving up and taking a picture of Half Dome and then driving home, but like the people who go use the park. I mean, it's a freaking camp established just for rock climbers for the most part, right? (laughs) I mean, Camp 4 is a rock climbing camp. So it's- More or less, yeah. I mean, more or less, right? So, but it's, you know, it's iconic though in the community here, you know, so that to not have to understand that like you're putting some of that at risk, or not at least acknowledging like what that, you know- yeah. What that can I mean think, is, is frustrating.
1: And and I think like I, I I took issue with with a little bit of like how the access fund has been talking about it, which is like as an existential threat to climbing. You know, in, in reality, like I don't think anything is going to they're they're not suddenly going to cut the bolts on, you know, a bunch of iconic Yosemite routes. Like I I I, I just don't think that that's going to happen. Yeah, I know. <laughs> they have to send climbers up to do it. I mean, it's yeah. kind like... <laughs> the, the way that the, the guidelines are worded just leaves yeah. so much room for interpretation that a lot of people, I think, are leaning on the side of being super concerned because on that edge of things, there's just the potential for ma- major changes to how climbing works and operates and, you know for safety reasons and for growth and all of those kinds of things.
0: I mean, do you think can, can you think of something just in your own head like what what there is to address here? I mean, because
1: again, it's just the bad PR sort of angering the climbing world. Like what 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 really could be I'm not even be... sure it's bad PR. Like it, I think it's just written in such a way that it's either, one like almost unenforceable uh and two it it leaves open too many questions about individual land managers making decisions about how climbing operates in specific areas. Yeah. And someone can just decide that climbing does not, whatever routes don't meet their, the the minimum impact report or whatever it is and be like, Oh yeah, no, no more, no more routes. Like we're going to cut, we're going to cut the bolts because we don't want climbers here or whatever. Like it just creates a patchwork that I don't think is a good idea. The, Forest service is already way understaffed and introducing something that by its nature introduces a bunch of bureaucracy. If I like, I'm like, Hey, like this bolt is is old and needs to be replaced. Do I need to like submit form 5875 to the forest service and wait six months right. to get it approved in order to replace this bolt that is a safety issue. And I think what happens is that climbers are going to replace those bolts regardless, entering, like, entering just like a de facto state of, you know, nothing has changed. But now you're not following regulations, which could give someone reason to cut things altogether. It's at best, even if someone from
0: the Forest Service or whoever could come on right now and be like, hey guys, this is what we did. And you and I are both like, oh, that makes sense. You handled it really badly you know, in terms of, like, how you spoke about it. I think the—because, yeah, it's a really good point, right? I mean, if, if we've learned anything, you take things away from people. There's usually a lot of pushback to that. And so to think about being, at, you know, in Zion or a Joshua Tree or Yosemite, these places that are clearly in wilderness areas that clearly have huge climbing presence, and there goes the tram full of tourists— and then here comes the ranger like kind of hat cuz your point that you're not going to hire someone specifically for this and pay that person an annual salary and give them insurance and everything to like really manage this. So here comes the guy that has to like not only like show somebody where the trailhead to Angel's Landing is in Zion but also to walk up to the person like rope chalking up and like uh, <laughs> and next to a big wall and be like, "Hey guys, like you're not you're not allowed to go up there." I mean, come on. Like, what are we doing here? You know what I mean? It's just ridiculous. Yeah. So other than kind of what you just mentioned from the Access Fund, have you heard anything else out of the climbing community's response to to
1: this? I mean, the climbers I've talked to uh, have mostly been pretty reasonable, and they're, they, they they pretty much fall into the camp that I eventually landed in, which is just that there's too much room for m- misuse of this. And yeah. that uncertainty creates a lot of, angst is the wrong word, but like negative feelings about the guidelines mm-hmm. even if they even if they're willing to acknowledge that it's not unreasonable for climbing to be regulated in some way that this particular these particular guidelines just create a lot of uncertainty for people it's in the comment it's in a comment period right now so it's not like official they're not official oh, okay. guidelines yet it's a 60 day comment period that runs out i'm not Exactly, sure. So we'll see kind of what happens at the end of that. Well, we'll keep an eye on it and another edition of Frosty Field
0: Reports uh, <laughs> that we have. Uh... Oh, God. <laughs> a couple other things that were in the news this week that I wanted to get your thoughts on. Uh, so, yeah, we, we touched on last week. We, we touched on Strava last week as they added messaging to their platform. And they're back in the news this week, and they announced the hire of a new CEO, a guy named Michael Martin. He's currently the general manager of YouTube Shopping. And he's been in the technology, media, and retail space um, with a, quote, extensive experience leading product design, engineering, marketing, and business teams for top consumer and technology brands, end quote. He also spent time at Nike and was a product leader there responsible for the company's connected fitness portfolio, which are things like Nike Run, Nike Run Club, Nike Training Club, Nike Adapt, the Apple Watch, Nike Plus. You know, it seems kind of like a natural move, a guy with a tech and athletic background, Um I'm just curious, kind of you being a tech and endurance guy, like what do you think would be enticing about running Strava or just the future of Strava in
1: general? Um I think it's interesting. I mean, I think from a a tech and product perspective, I think the hire makes a lot of sense. It seems like he'll be a, a good fit for where Strava's at right now. I think the most interesting thing is probably his commerce background and what that means for Strava moving forward as far as integrating. I mean, there's interesting things you could potentially do with regards to gear and purchasing through Strava. Like, there's already a ton of information out there about, you know, what bike you're riding, what shoe you're riding, how many miles you've run on it, all of that sort of information that I could see creating either some sort of marketplace or upsells or deals or, you know, hey, your Hoka's are almost run out, like do you want yeah. to buy another pair of hokas but i don't know like i think it's a, so I was at an interesting point where the stuff that people are asking for is getting increasingly more like detailed and sport specific where people are arguing about like oh, i want more crazy this super specific power meter graph or like or like i mean for me as a runner and you know backcountry skier and you know mountain biker I, I don't really need anything else. Like I, I pay for it. I enjoy it. I look, How I many enjoy, miles did I go? Yeah, I <laughs> enjoy like seeing, yeah. like checking my performance on you know various routes and and that sort of stuff over time. But there's nothing I feel like I particularly need out of it right now. As you're talking, and I didn't think of it really when we talked about messaging
0: last week, but as you're kind of describing this, and you know, every app, it feels like since there have been apps. And since, since the advent of social media and then the, you know, the, the, the app store becoming a ubiquitous thing in our life, everybody's like, oh, we're going to become the Facebook of this or the Amazon of that. Or they're going to like, we're going to be the next thing to sort of revolutionize this category. And I don't know. I think like Strava actually is something that makes a lot of sense, frankly, like in terms of a community-based thing that can, where you can communicate, shop, you know, there's, it it's. Kind of hate to kind of think about it. oh, streaming's another one, right? It's like, well, we're gonna now we have our own streaming services versus mm-hmm. like just selling our content to Netflix, which would probably have been a lot more profitable for you, right? which would have been the right yeah. decision. <laughs> but it's kind of the same thing here, but is this the sort of the one platform that can actually pull it off?
1: I mean, they're certainly trying um you know i, I, I think i I don't have any insight into their their current product direction beyond messaging and that kind of stuff, but sure. I would not be surprised if they're working on some sort of marketplace.
0: It just makes sense that you're already in there, especially if you're a dedicated user, like you said. You're like, oh my, my running shoes are up. Like, oh look, I have a link to buy these here. For, like, we have a relationship with the running warehouse, whatever it is. Oh, okay, great. Oh, look, like uh, Jim Walmsley just posted a video, and now it's like I'm linking. It's all as I'm doing all these things. All of these little options are there. This and one actually—it's not a new, not a new
1: playbook, right? Like, yeah, totally. You know, they've every social network has done this at some point, you know, like Instagram added shoppable links and, you know, has stores. TikTok has a store now. Facebook has Marketplace like, but I mean, I I mean, I could see how listing my bike on Strava is and, you know, everyone's locally connected and there's all all, we have messaging now. Uh, There's something like that could definitely, definitely work.
0: But if you didn't put it on Strava, I promise you it still happened. Okay? It's okay. Ah,
1: it, it doesn't happen though. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't put a picture on Instagram. I didn't post on Strava. What am I doing with my life? You didn't create a, a, a snappy title and call it a mission instead of a, a, oh, man. You know, a hike. and
0: I know. use my Garmin on my bike mostly and then I won't sync it like with, with my phone for like – three weeks and then then I will probably look at my Strava and be like oh it looks like I haven't done anything quick I gotta like I gotta sync it up you know (laughs) so funny all right man we'll we'll keep an eye on that and congratulations I guess to Michael Martin we'll see how this all plays out um last thing I want to talk to you about is last week Gear Junkie and not to beat up on Gear Junkie again on this podcast because we've done that a bit in the last few months but they, wrote, they ran a sponsored piece, and they run a lot of sponsored pieces, but this one was supposedly written by AI. It was titled How to Be a Rad Skier. Uh, it was brought to everybody by Pit Viper. Uh, and I'll put the link in the show notes if you haven't seen it. I encourage you to go read it. You know, you definitely have been dabbling in some AI things yourself. You know, again, you have a tech background. I kind of look at this, and number one, I wasn't that impressed with what they wrote. Uh, I didn't think it was that it was that interesting, which maybe that's the point, because it's supposedly written by AI. I, I want to get your thoughts on it. I just My my gut instinct was, like, do they realize they're writing their own obituary? Because it's just like you're having AI generate something that looked like it pretty much belonged on Gear Junkie. But what were your thoughts about this?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I thought it was interesting. Uh, I personally thought it was, like, a total miss for pit viper uh given that they have a pretty strong brand around being you know kind of quirky and wacky and like totally outside of the box and you know fuck you and we'll do whatever yeah. we want and it, it was felt, a little soft by their standards yeah exactly you know the article was ostensibly written by chat i mean it was clearly i mean i think they say in the article that this was written with the help of ChatGPT and you know kind of curated around things but like you said i think what's kind of telling or not telling but unfortunate is like you're you're basically soft launching you know <laughs> doing this on a more regular basis positioning it as like oh here we're being like subversive by like you know doing this with pit viper and making it like a satire or a joke but you read the i mean you read the thing and It's just like I wouldn't be surprised if this showed up on any one of the 20 different, you know, blog, you know, outdoor blog things that publish 25 articles a day about nothing. I would not be surprised if this was written by a human like from from a content quality. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah,
0: no. It could be. It could have been that it was maybe first draft of that of uh something that Chat
1: GPT. And it's not limited. Out. This isn't limited to the outdoor industry. The travel industry does this a ton of like you know five ways to have a totally. great time on your you know beach vacation or whatever. Like in inadvertent. I mean, they they've done similar things a couple times now. Gear Junkie, uh, or where the they, AI uh, generated stuff. Yeah, but like they they did a thing with reviews where they like reviewed a tried to review a stove with uh chat GPT or, or something like that. And, you know, they, they did a thing like AI generated gear predictions from like, I don't know, mid journey or something like that. When and, and, I, and I've written about it quite, quite a bit as, as well because I do think it's something that's just affecting going to affect the industry. Of course. I've tried really hard to be like, I'm, these are things I think are going to happen. Here's like the two sides of this for gear junkie to be like playing around with it. Like this is just a, an indication that there's going to be more. And it is go- like, even though their conclusion from the gear article is that, you you know, you won't be able to do it, which is mostly true. Like it, chat doesn't have information on gear. That's not going to be released for six months.
0: But it they, but they could do ninety percent of the work, and then a human can come in and add in the stuff that they don't know about. I, it, it's kind of infuriating. I mean, this is the second time now we've had this. You have the AI chatbot, you know, podcast episode from outside. You know, Justin, who comes on the show a lot, he always mentions that like there's just not a lot to talk about in the outdoors. I, I think it's a step further. I think the people who talk about the outdoors don't want to talk about a lot. And I think that this is, we're talking, I'll I'll mention it now, we're we're playing around as a satire piece for the Rock Fight website about doing kind of a funny AI-generated campfire story thing. And I'll announce that when it comes out. But it's also being done kind of as a satire for the over-vanillification of outdoor content. How easy it is to create stuff that with AI, that looks like most of what comes out of the established outdoor media,
1: and it's yeah. and I think that's that's the difference, right? Like, yeah. like I an AI cannot write the type of stuff that I write. It cannot make those connections. It does not make the Correct. predictions. It does right. not do the research. That sort of stuff. It can write listicles. It yep. it can write generic articles and it's going to. <laughs> well, and look, Gear Junkie, again, they're, they're like, going I, to do it. Like <laughs> I'm sure there are good people working at Gear
0: Junkie. I've met Steven a few times back in my, back in my corporate days. Great guy, you know, but I, when I go onto your website and half says sponsored content, like when you're clicking on a link, which I never feel good about clicking on something that says sponsored content, because I just feel like, oh, well, what is this? You know, and, but fine, that's what you are. But that says to me, that, okay, this is curated. Everything on here is curated for a purpose. So why couldn't AI, based off what I just read on the article, that you're you're playing up to be cheeky, which makes me, like I said, that's why I open with, I feel like you're writing your own obituary here. Like this is, this should be. Well, I mean, anything- you can go even
1: further, right? Like uh, the arena group just had a huge uh, shakeup because it came out that Sports Illustrated has been doing this right without telling anyone. Uh, and CEO got fired like they lost a shit ton of stock like value like and, and they were going so far as to like generate the article and then the author that created the article was also artificially generated as you know a fake profile picture a fake bio like the whole thing and you know that that was a huge public like, blow up in in journalism and content and all of that kind of stuff, but don't tell me that any other site that relies on mostly on generating as many articles as they possibly can to rank on SEO and to insert affiliate links and to satisfy sponsored content partners is thinking about this because it's the most cost-effective way to do it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and
0: just creatively, like to your point about what this thing ended up being like, just to kind of focus on this specifically, man, it's, this is pit viper. I feel like if pit viper comes to me and says, Hey man, I want you to do this thing for me, or I'm going to partner you on this thing. That's like a, like a blank check to just be as edgy as, as you want to be. Like they should have gone so hard. That was
1: the saddest saddest thing for me. It was like, right. With pit viper. I just expect the stupidest, like weirdest out of the box. I mean maybe not like maybe not like liquid depth level but like you yeah. know some for me like yeah total miss on the content side
0: agree with you and just total miss of a brand move by Gear Junkie like I just think this was not smart for what you what you do specifically and what you're going to be compared against in the future not what not a not a not a good uh, not a good move
1: anyway man that's all I got anything else you want to talk about <laughs> <laughs> uh no not right now i'm uh i'm ready to to start slowing down a bit and kind of head into hibernation for the holiday season so yeah yeah no we're gonna uh we're gonna
0: we'll wrap it up we'll bring you back on in january with some uh hopefully some exciting new stuff to talk about uh i do appreciate you man coming on uh again uh love having you on and talk about this keep up the great work on on here and there you know it's um I don't know. You're you're pushing it forward. We have lots of things to talk about, and and your newsletter is proof of that.
1: Great. Yeah. No. It's
0: uh. It's it's been really fun. All right, buddy. Well, hey. Happy New Year. We'll see you in January.
1: Thanks. You too. Sounds good.
0: All right, that's the show for today. Thanks, as always, to Kyle Frost for coming on. And if you liked what you heard from Kyle, you can find more of his writing and subscribe to his newsletter at hereandthere.club. Please subscribe and follow The Rock Flight wherever you get your podcasts. Hit us up on Instagram and threads at underscore rockflight underscore and send your emails to myrockflight at gmail.com. The Rock Flight is a production of Rock Flight LLC. I'm Colin True. Thanks for listening and here to take us out is less than Jake's Krista makes with the Rock Fight Fight Song. We'll see you next time, Rock Fighters.